Prejudice by Jane Austen. Volume 1, Chapter 1. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. This is the opening line in the entire novel of Pride and Prejudice, so the opening line of chapter one. Um, I talked a little bit about this last time, but in case you missed it, I, some for some reason, have put that song to that front line. I, I'm not sure where that came from or when I decided to do that, but it is now official that you have to sing the first line. That's just how that works. I always sing that line. It is a great first line. I love it so much. It just really punches above its weight with this and it comes in really strong and I'm always surprised when people try to read it as like read it as straight as just the truth Jane Austen is telling of the society I read it as so just over the top sarcastic um and I guess not everybody reads it that way so it's not inherently that but that is what my interpretation of this first line is so it's a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife and then it goes on in the next one to say, however little known the feelings or views of such a man may be on his first entering a neighborhood, this truth is so well fixed in the minds of the surrounding families that he is considered as the rightful property of some one or other of their daughters. And then the rest of the chapter is basically taken up by this conversation between Mr. Bennett and his wife, Mrs. Bennett. So we'll get into their conversation. But what do these first two sentences of the novel really give us? I think the first line is just iconic. It's like if you know one quote from Jane Austen, it's probably this one, I think, um, that it's a truth universally acknowledged a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. See how many times I can say that in this, in this episode. But um, what this is telling us is that I think it's acknowledging that this is what society thinks as a whole. I think it is sort of laughing at society for thinking this. Um, and especially the second one that however little known the feelings or views of such a man may be on his entering a neighborhood. This truth is so well fixed in the minds of the surrounding families that he is considered as the rightful property of some one or other of their daughters. I see this as highly um, sarcastic about the way society works, the way society thinks. And we go on to see that Mrs. Bennett definitely subscribes to these first two sentences and they could definitely be out of her head. Like most of the narration in this book is, I think we're seeing things through Lizzie's eyes. If this is Lizzie talking, which I don't think it is, I think Lizzie is very, very sarcastically saying this. She is sort of making fun of it if it's coming from Lizzie's perspective. If it's coming from just an all-knowing narrator's perspective, then it is also, I think, highly sarcastic and making fun of society by saying this is the way society thinks. The only way that this, these first sentences can be seen as serious is if they're coming from the head of Mrs. Bennett, because um, she would, I think, seriously believe these things, which is how it's played in um, 
1995 miniseries, they use this first line and it's something that Elizabeth says and her mother agrees with her, but she's definitely laughing and saying it jokingly. So I think that those are the possibilities of where this line is. I think I really do read it though, as either Lizzie or some all knowing narrator, AKA Jane Austen laughing at us and laughing at society that this is the way the world works. And these are the things that people think. And it establishing that, you know, that this is just an accepted part of life and society that any single man with a good fortune obviously needs to get married and um, that he's considered the property of one of their daughters. I also think that, that it has a little bit of an ironic twist to it when you're talking about the rightful property of one of their daughters. Because what it really means is that the men in themselves don't need to be married, so to speak. They're not the ones who need to marry. It's the daughters that need the husband. So the way the society is set up is very much that women need to marry, not men. Um, now, men need to marry if they want to have an heir or something like that. But just to live a comfortable life as a man, you definitely do not need to be married in this time period. Whereas for women, you kind of do. Most women do. There's only there's a very few, few and far between select women who would be able to live comfortably through their life and not get married. Most women would have to marry, especially of this genteel class of which um, Jane Austen writes about. There really aren't many options, right? If a woman doesn't get married, the only way that that's okay is if she is somehow independently wealthy. So someone like, for example, Miss Anne de Berg, who we'll meet later, could theoretically live out her life without getting married and is probably going to be fine financially. But she is a very unique situation. Most women do not have that. Most women will need to marry to be able to live a comfortable life. The other options are that you live with family members who take care of you, which would be probably your father until he dies and then hopefully a brother or an uncle or cousin or something like that. Some family member would have to take you in. Um, that's actually what happened to Jane Austen. She lived with her father till he died and then she ended up living with her brothers, her brother or not with her brothers, but um, one of her brothers who was wealthier, who had gotten adopted by a wealthier family whole other story ended up like donating a house for her her sister and her mother to live in um so she needed her brother to care for her or not care for like that but like provide her a place to live um she would not have been able to afford to live otherwise so women are very dependent on the men in their lives financially in this time period and it's seen as the most the best way for a woman to sort of make a living quote unquote or support herself would be to marry a man who can support her. Right. And then even as in those marriage documents, they can usually settle money on her as a widow. If he dies, that she'll hopefully be okay. Um, but it's all set up for men in the family to take care of her. And she needs a husband to take care of her financially for her to be able to survive. So that's a really important part of this whole story and this whole setting, and it sets it up really quickly here. And I think it's funny and ironic that she's saying the single men must be in want of a wife. This is being assumed from the women, the mothers, the Mrs. Bennets of the world, that obviously they must need a wife, so we need to give them one, when the reality of the situation is very much the alternate. Like, the reality of the situation is that all young women need a wealthy husband, and there aren't enough of them. Um, 
And so that's where we're really at is that the women need a, need a husband, not that the men need a wife. Um, financially speaking, that's just the way the world works. So I think it's very ironic that that's the way she starts it. And I think that she does that on purpose that starting with this idea that a single man obviously needs a wife is funny and ironic on the twist twist on the reality of the situation that all the young unmarried girls need a husband. And so one of them, just a man just moved in who is a possibility for a good match for a husband. And that's a huge big deal. And all the, everybody, you know, everybody assumes that he is considered the rightful property of some other, someone or other of their daughters because he needs to be that necessary husband for somebody. That is his role. That is his destiny. And we have literally made it two sentences in. So I told you, I have a lot to say. (laughs) All right. So then we get into this conversation between Mr. and Mrs. Bennett, which takes up basically the rest of the chapter. So, Mrs. Bennett says that Netherfield Park is let at last and asks if Mr. Bennett knows. Mr. Bennett said that he hadn't heard. And Mrs. Bennett says that it is. Mrs. Long has just been here and she told me all about it. Mr. Bennett made no answer. Do not you want to know who has taken it? cried his wife impatiently. You want to tell me and I have no objection to hearing it. This was invitation enough. "'Why, my dear, you must know Mrs. Long says that Netherfield is taken by a young man of large fortune from the north of England, that he came down on Monday in a chase and four to see the place, and was so much delighted with it that he agreed with Mr. Morris immediately that he is to take possession before Michaelmas, and some of his servants are to be in the house by the end of next week.'" So this is a very, I think, good in, good indication of how these this couple works. The interactions between Mr. and Mrs. Bennett are very clear here where Mrs. Bennett is just rattling on and on and on about something that I think Mr. Bennett actually does want to know. I don't think that he's really as against gossip as he sometimes pretends he is. We'll see that later on with some of the way he talks. I don't think he's against knowing this gossip, but he also doesn't really want to encourage her. So he's being very noncommittal. So she's like, have you heard that it's less? No, but it is. And she told me all about it. And don't you want to know? And he doesn't ask anything like she's setting him up to like, Ooh, who took it? What do you know? She, he will not play that game. He's not asking. He's just quiet. And then she's like, well, do you, don't you want to know? And he says, well, you want to tell me, but, and I guess I don't object to it. And that's enough. So she just goes off. So he doesn't have to show any interest. She'll just tell him anyway. But he finally does ask a question. What's his name? She answers Bingley. Is he married or single? She answers single, my dear, to be sure. And here's where she's basically like, I wouldn't be this excited if he was married. The whole reason I'm excited about it is there's a single man, a single man of large fortune, four or five thousand a year. What a fine thing for our girls. And he asks, he's still now asking questions, so he's getting into the game a little bit. How so? How can it affect them? My dear Mr. Bennett, replied his wife, how can you be so tiresome? You must know that I'm thinking of his marrying one of them. Is that his design in settling here? Design? Nonsense. How can you talk so? But it is very likely that he may fall in love with one of them, and therefore you must visit him as soon as he comes. I see no occasion for that. You and the girls may go, or you may send them by themselves, which perhaps will be still better. For as you are as handsome as any of them, Mr. Bingley might like you the best of the party. So, 
in this little bit of the conversation, we get Mrs. Bennett showing that she agrees with those first couple sentences about a single man of large fortune needing a wife by saying that, by basically saying, um, yeah, he's single. That's the only reason I'm excited and care. Like, it doesn't matter. If he was married, he wouldn't be of any use to me, obviously. Um, I want him to marry one of our daughters. And then Mr. Bennett falls into this thing where he's like saying, oh, no, I don't need to go. You and the girls can go by, can go, or maybe I'll send them by themselves because you're just as pretty as, you're as handsome as any of them. And Mr. Bingley might like you the best of the party. So it's our first indication, which we'll hear later, that Mr. Bennett married Mrs. Bennett because she was beautiful, because he was attracted to her, not because that they have any sort of similarity in their personalities or anything like that. They don't seem to actually get along very well other than that physical piece. And so this complimenting her on being beautiful, I think, is par for the course for that. And Mrs. Bennett kind of demurs from that, saying that, you know, you flatter me. I certainly have had my share of beauty, but I do not pretend to be anything extraordinary now. When a woman has five grown-up daughters, she ought to give over thinking of her own beauty. So that's where we learn. They have five daughters, all grown up. That's part of why Mrs. Bennett is so interested in getting somebody married, because they've got five adult daughters ready to marry. They all need, they all need husbands, is what I was saying. And then we get this little line, in such cases, a woman has not often much beauty to think of, which is interesting. It's kind of a, I don't know whether it's a backhanded compliment or where it is, but that line is, seems kind of interesting to me because he's saying that most women who've had five children, have five grown-up daughters, are not much to look at anymore, right? They don't have much beauty to think of. Um, so I'm not sure. My reading of it is that he's saying most women don't, but you do. But that's not the, you know, that he doesn't say that last part. That's just kind of how I'm reading it. I think it could be seen as a dig of just saying most women who have had five, five, five grown-up daughters aren't anything to look at. And, I mean, that could be including you. So I'm not sure which way to take it. I tend to take it as most women wouldn't be pretty, but you still are. So I take it as a compliment. But I'm not 100% sure that that's the correct way to read it or the only way to read it. Then they get back into this argument back and forth saying that you have to go see Mr. Bingley, consider our daughters, what an establishment it would be for them, meaning like if they married him, that would be so great. And talking about Sir William and Lady Lucas, who are their neighbors, who are, go who are determined to go merely on that account, because usually they don't visit newcomers, but you have to go. And Mr. Bennett then I think is being facetious here he's not being real saying that you're over scrupulous scrupulous surely i dare say mr bingley will be very glad to see you and i will send a few lines by you to assure him of my hearty consent to his marrying whichever he chooses of the girls though i must throw in a good word for my little lizzie i don't think he's being serious that wouldn't make any sense for him to just send them with a letter that's not how this works he knows that mrs bennett knows that that's not a thing and she obviously i think knows that because she doesn't even talk about the letter piece she's just moving right along to her next complaint which is that saying i desire you will do no such thing lizzie is not a bit better so she's only talking about she's not saying in my reading at least she's not talking about this whole thing i'm going to send you with a letter i'll send a note with you a few lines to assure that he is heart my hearty consent to his marrying whichever he chooses of the girls that part she's just completely ignoring and throwing out the door out the door out the window whatever because 
it's not serious. She knows it's not serious. He knows it's not serious. But then the part where he's saying he's going to throw in a word, good word for his little Lizzie. That's the part that she takes issue with. And so we get very quickly who's everybody's favorite. So we find out right there that Mr. Bing, Mr. Bennett's favorite daughter is his daughter, Lizzie. And we find out very quickly here that it says where Mrs. Bennett says Lizzie is not a bit better than the others. And I'm sure she is not half so handsome as Jane nor half so good humored as Lydia. But you are always giving her the preference. And so we find out there that Mrs. Bennett's favorite are, favorites are Jane and Lydia. Jane, because she's so beautiful that she has very high hopes that Jane will make a good marriage. And Lydia, because Lydia is very much like Mrs. Bennett and is Mrs. Bennett's, I think, actual. Like if you took out the economics piece and the fact that Jane is expected to make such a good marriage, I think Lydia is actually probably her favorite daughter. The one she actually wants to spend time with the most, that kind of thing. So Jane is the prettiest. Lydia is the most good humored. And according to Mr. Bennett, Lizzie, so yeah, Lizzie is um, his favorite. So there you go. And then he says that Lizzie is, is his favorite because she has more quickness than her sisters. So this part I think is very, very rude where he says they have none of them much to recommend them. They are all silly and ignorant like other girls, but Lizzie has something more quickness than her sisters. So I think people love Mr. Bennett and I love him. I think he's hilarious a lot of the time, but I also think he's pretty cruel. And this is one of those places where he's very cruel, where he's just saying they're all silly, ignorant, like other girls. So that's a sexist saying all girls are silly and ignorant. Um, it's also like, well, what do you expect when you don't actually give any of them an education? Jerk face. Um, but because the, yeah, women were not, you know, educated well in this time period either. So I think this is one of those lines where that crosses the line for me in, from being just a funny, hilarious, ha ha, Mr. Bennett, so funny line to Mr. Bennett being cruel and cruel to his daughters. And I think that this is a thing, theme that we'll see throughout that Lizzie loves her father. She has a very close relation to him, a relationship to him. But I don't think he's a good father, even to Lizzie, and especially not to his youngest daughters, who he seems to have zero respect or patience for at all. Um, and so we'll get into that more. But Mr. Bennett is a very complicated character who I love and think is hilarious and also think is a very poor father to his children and not a very good person. So we'll see. Um and Mrs. Bennett calls him out on this. He sa she says, Mr. Bennett, how can you abuse your own children in such a way? You take delight in vexing me. You have no compassion on my poor nerves. And then this is an iconic line. I love it. It says, you mistake me, my dear. I have a high respect for your nerves. They are my old friends. I've heard you mention them with consideration these 20 years at least. Which again, I think is kind of cruel. He's definitely making fun of his wife here. Yes, her nervous complaint is all in her head and like not, I don't know. I think, I definitely think it's more of a mental health and a physical health thing, but mental health is important though that in this time period, it, I don't think they had that distinction or those things there. It's a whole thing. Um, but again, that line is one of those that I think is hilarious, especially in the miniseries. Mr. Bennett says that line and it's just, oh, it's a, just a hilarious, fabulous, funny moment which I think both Mrs. Bennett and Mr. Bennett are great comedy gold. 
But when you actually look deeper into it, I don't think either of them are particularly good parents. So there you go. And they're not particularly good parents in different ways, which is interesting. Um, and we will also get into that as we go along. She's, and so the chapter ends with Mrs. Bennett then being like, oh, you do not know what I suffer. And he replies, but I hope you will get over it and live to see many young men of 4,000 a year come into the neighborhood. It will do us no, it will be no use to us if 20 such should come since you will not visit them. Depend upon it, my dear. When they are 20, I will visit them all. And that's the end of the conversation. Then there's just the one little paragraph left, which we'll get to in a second. So this conversation that they have, that Mr. and Mrs. Bennett have, introduces them as characters. I think it does a very good job of introducing what their dynamic and their kind of conversation is like. Where Mrs. Bennett is talking and talking and talking. Mr. Bennett is making fun of her and not paying any attention to any of her complaints or any of her thoughts any of her issues he is rather rude to her he's making fun of her and I think we as readers are kind of supposed to be making fun of her too um I don't know that that's completely fair I mean I, I'd love to laugh at Mrs. Bennett she's so annoying she's the worst sometimes but I do think she gets a bit of a bum rap um I do think she loves her daughters I think she can be cruel too. So she's not, she's definitely not perfect or a victim necessarily in any of this. But I think that Mr. Bennett is kind of let off the hook for his bad behavior and often in a way that Mrs. Bennett isn't. And I would like to try to be equal in my, um, in what I say about them of, you know, both of them having problems. All right. And then this whole, the first chapter ends with this paragraph. Mr. Bennett was so odd a mixture of quick parts, sarcastic humor, reserve, and caprice that the experience of three and twenty years had been insufficient to make his wife understand his character. Her mind was less difficult to develop. She was a woman of mean understanding, little information, and uncertain temper. When she was discontented, she fancied herself nervous. The business of her life was to get her daughters married. Its solace was visiting and news." So that finishes out our like introduction to Mr. and Mrs. Bennett. So Mr. Bennett is a mixture of quick parts, sarcastic humor, reserve, and caprice. Um, so he is a reader. We find out later he reads a lot, which Mrs. Bennett definitely is not, does not do that. He's very sarcastic, which Mrs. Bennett, I think, doesn't really seem to understand his sarcasm for the most part as we go through here. He, she doesn't get his humor, not in the way that Lizzie does anyway. Um, so he is often making fun of people, especially trying to make fun of her, Mrs. Bennett, when it go, and it, having it go over her head. He says things she doesn't quite understand a lot. That's very common, and I think we even see that in this initial conversation. And we then have Mrs. Bennett, who we are think we are here primed to see is kind of stupid. So she has a mean understanding. That means inferior intelligence or judgment, according to my annotation in this book. Um, so she's not a very intelligent person. That's what we're being told. She has little information, which means education or knowledge. She has very little education. She has very little knowledge. 
and an uncertain temper, which means unsteady, unsteady or capricious temperament, which is interesting because they said that Mr. Bennett has caprice. So that means like unsteady going back and forth. Um, so they have that in common that they are both like kind of jump around a little bit and that, and that's the only thing that they have in common. Um, and then it says when she's discontented, she fancied herself nervous. So you'll talk about her nervous complaints where she talks, oh, you, my nerves, you have no compassion on my nerves. She says that a lot. She talk, complains about her nerves and anytime she's upset, she just acts like she has some sort of medical complaint that is just, I think, to get attention and uh, something to say. It's annoying as well. She, I'm not saying that Mrs. Bennett is not annoying. She definitely is. And it says the business of her life was to get her daughters married. It's solace was visiting in news. So let's talk about this. So we've talked a lot about marriage here. And so I think this is as good a place as any to start talking about um, why marriage is so important for these, for these women. Um, why the life goal that Mrs. Bennett has is to get her daughters married. So this is not something that we've talked about in the book yet. We will learn about it soon. But I think this is a decent enough place to just kind of talk about this concept of why women are, why it's so important for women to marry. So in general, women are supposed to marry because that's how you get money and financial security, a home, um, because they are not allowed to just go out and live on their own, right? They need, as a woman of this social class, they are supposed to live with their father until they get married and then they go live with their husband they are not allowed to just go out on their own. They are also very limited on being able to make money in any capacity. They're not allowed to really have jobs. They don't get, they can't go to college. They can't get a real education. Their one thing they are allowed to do is like be a wife and take care of a house, be a mom, that kind of thing. The real, like the exception to that would be you could be a companion to an older widowed woman or a governess to children. But both of those things would be they're like genteel, quote unquote, careers that women of this class were able to do. But I definitely my impression of it is that it's definitely seen as kind of a step down. It's women who, for whatever reason, can't get married would be going into those professions. They're not necessarily respectable in the way like people aren't wanting to do that. That is a last resort. And we see that with somebody like Jane Fairfax from Emma where she is very against the idea of having to be a governess. She really doesn't want to have to go do it. Um, it's definitely seen, even if it is allowed and sort of genteel, it's not a good thing. It's definitely a step down in society and from your kind of place in the world. So there aren't a lot of options. Um, and women generally, the way, even though they're coming from very wealthy families, most of the money is going to go to the boys any sons the man has, especially to the heir, which would be the oldest son. A majority of everything is going to go to that eldest son. A little bit is going to go to the rest of the children, girls and any second sons, any secondary younger sons. Um, but the younger sons are going to be expected usually to go into some sort of profession. They're going to become clergy. They're going to join the military, something like that. I think a lawyer might be allowed for these sorts of families. There aren't very many career options for the boys either, but there are some. They go off to university and then take a profession if they are a younger son to support themselves. 
the girls, they're really, their option is Mary. Um, even the sort of professions that they could do are a little low on the totem pole. They're not, they're not great options for these, for these women. So marriage is really the option in general. Now for the Bennett specifically, their, their even bigger problem is that their father's estate is entailed on the male line, which we'll find out later, means that his entire estate when he dies is going to go to a cousin, Mr. Collins. Um, and that's also a piece of where, you know, they, we've already learned that they have five daughters. They haven't explicitly said it yet, but they don't have any sons. So if they had sons, then the situation would be a little less dire in that you would assume that the son, if he inherited, if and when he inherits the estate, would allow his mother to stay and take care of her, would allow his sisters to stay and take care of them if they were not married. Um, but this cousin coming in is really doesn't have that same expectation. They actually would probably assume that he will make them leave. Um, so they won't have a home anymore. All the money is going to go to somebody sort of unconnected that they don't really know that has no real reason to allow them to live with him and stay in his home now. Um, so that's the problem for the Bennett specifically. And I think that's something also to bring up here. That is something I think that some of the adaptations get wrong. Um, and some of the way the people interpret things get a little bit wrong here is that the Bennett's are not poor. The Bennett's are one of the richest families in the area, if not the richest, the wealthiest family there. Um, I think the only family that is technically higher status is Sir Lucas because, or Sir William, because he has a, um, a knighthood. So he technically has a title and Mr. Bennett is an untitled gentleman. So, so, so socially speaking, Sir William Lucas is higher up on higher up socially. Um, and he's the only one with a title in the neighborhood. And then the Bennett's would be kind of the second highest family from everything we can tell from listening from who they interact with and everything. Um, they seem to be the wealthiest family in the area. Um, they're doing pretty well. They're living very well. The problem is not now. The problem is that they don't, the girls don't have big dowries because they haven't saved up money for that. And the problem is that they haven't been living frugally. And Mr. Bennett talks about this way later in the novel, but the problem is that the family has been living up to their means. They have not been saving money. So they earn, I think it's something about 2000 a year, and they spend it all. They are living extravagantly. They can afford it. They can live this way. But it means that they're not saving any money, which means that they're not saving any money for the daughters to have better dowries, which would get them, um, have them better able to get married to wealthier men. And it's not saving any money for the girls or their mother to live on if, if and when their father dies because he only owns the estate while he's alive. As soon as he dies, it goes to the next heir, which would be the next male heir, which would have been his son if he had one. And so if he had had a son, then the son would have inherited everything and things would probably be okay because the estate stays in the family and the estate would therefore be available the girls would be able, you know the daughters would probably be able to stay with their brother the mom would be able to stay with her son he would be expected to take care of his family like that and so they'd be okay probably it's the fact that there is no son that is the problem because that means the estate's going to the cousin it's going away and he has not saved up money for them outside of just the annual income he's getting which he's going to lose when he dies
And so the Bennets are not poor. They're doing well. They have very nice things. Mrs. Bennett, I mean, that's, that's actually part of the problem. How well they're living is part of the problem because they're not able to save any money. So they are living very well. They are doing very well. That's not the issue. The thing that is at issue is that there will not be money in the future. And if their father dies before any of the girls are married, they're kind of screwed. They really don't have a backup plan. They're going to have to go live with family, you know, probably their mother's brothers, either Mr. Phillips from who's the, their, I guess, uncle-in-law, because Mrs. Phillips is Mrs. Bennett's sister and then her husband, Mr. Phillips, and then her brother, um, Mr. Gardner. So that would have been Mrs. Bennett's, they're all, and Mrs. Phillips, maiden names, I assume, Mrs., they would have been Miss Gardner. So Mr. Gardner is their brother who lives, is her brother who lives in London. And then Mr. Phillips is the brother-in-law who lives in Meryton, the closer, the close town. So most likely if Mr. Bennett dies, the family would have to split up and go live with those two uncles. Um, and I think that they would probably take them in. I think they'd be okay. Um, but they really would be in and of themselves destitute. They would not be able to support themselves in any way. They would really have to be relying on other family members to be willing to take them in and help support them. They would not be able to support themselves. Um, and that's actually exactly what you kind of see happen in Sense and Sensibility when um, the Dashwood's father dies, their brother, half-brother comes in and kicks them out of the house. And they um, would be destitute, would have nowhere to go, except for Mrs. Dashwood's cousin, Sir John, gives them a cottage on his land for them to come live on. And that's why they're able to support and live. Um, so that's a big deal for them. And that's really what Mrs. Bennett is worried about. Sense and Sensibility kind of starts at Mrs. Bennett's worst nightmare. Um, so it's not... And so I think that's a big thing that people get wrong and misunderstand about this novel. And one specific adaptation strongly gets wrong and really plays into this thought process. But um, the Bennets aren't poor. They are doing very well for themselves. They are some of the richest people. They're definitely probably the wealthiest people in the neighborhood until the, until the Bingleys show up. They are the richest people around. They're doing very well. They live very comfortably. Life is good right now. But... If the girls don't marry a man that can care for them and give them a place to live, they will be kind of SOL when their father dies. And so it's very much a future problem, not a current problem. Um, but Mrs. Bennett is not wrong about that being a problem, that being a concern. So she seems a little hysterical sometimes, but her concerns are valid. It's really, it's a real thing. It's really going to be a problem in the future if they don't figure something out. You know, that's why... Mrs. Bennett wants Jane to marry a rich man. Why she's so excited about her, one of her daughters marrying Mr. Bingley, because if he is wealthy, that wealthy, he has 4,000 a year. He'll be able to take care of his mother-in-law and his sister-in-laws if needed. Um, when, you know, when Mr. Bennett dies. So anyway, that's my, one of my little pet peeves about it that I think people misunderstand. My reading of it and my understanding of it is the Bennets are not poor. They are doing very well. They live very as lav they live relatively lavishly. It's mentioned a couple times that they have a really keep a very good cable. 
that none of the girls work in the kitchen or do any sort of household work. They have plenty of servants to do all of that. They eat very well. They have very nice clothes. Um, Lydia spends a bunch of money on stuff all the time. It's definitely clear that they're not hurting. They're doing okay. It's very much a future concern for when Mr. Bennett dies and all of his money goes away because it all goes to Mr. Collins. That's when there's going to be a problem. Um, so just wanted to make that part very, very clear. The other thing I wanted to think about that we learn from this chapter, because I always like to keep track of ages. So I'm trying to keep track of that as we go. This first age we learn is Mrs. Bennett. So it's, we find out that she's been married for 23 years. So I'm going to assume she got married about at 18. Um, you could get as married probably as young as like 16, but I think it was more common to marry somewhere between 18 to 21. So I'm just assuming she got married about 18. That would make her about 41 years old right now. Um, so that's my first age. We can assume that Mr. Bennett is older than that. How much older? I do not know. But I would guess probably 10 years. So I would, I'm putting Mr. Bennett at maybe 51. I'm putting Mrs. Bennett early 40s, Mr. Bennett early 50s. Um, I'm not sure if we'll ever actually get more details about how old Mr. Bennett is, but this is my sort of initial thought process is that Mrs. Bennett is probably somewhere around 41 and Mr. Bennett is probably six to 10 years older than that. Um, but I don't know exactly. So those are our first ages. We also know that they have five daughters. We don't know any of those ages yet. But they're all marriageable, apparently. And there are five of them. And we've only learned three names, but like I said, I'm not going to pretend I don't know. So they have five daughters. It's Jane is the eldest, then Lizzie, then Mary, then Kitty, then Lydia. And we've also learned that Lizzie, the second oldest, is Mr. Bennett's favorite. And Jane, the eldest, and Lydia, the youngest, are Mrs. Bennett's favorites. And poor Mary and Kitty are nobody's favorites. And that's very sad for them. All right, so that is all I've got for this first chapter. Um, I'll be back next time when we keep going and we'll meet some more than just these first two characters um, with chapter two. Mm -hmm.